Hello folks, welcome back and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It's got nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike or run, but it's got everything to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, your work habits and much more. And if these areas you'd like to improve on, we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a few clients and my wife, Beth, who's a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered and you can find contact details in the show notes below. If you want to be better at any physical activity, then it is really, really important that you've got good movement skills. If you want to keep doing what you love into your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, then mobility is a critical piece of that puzzle. It is fair to say that I haven't always been the best advert for mobility, but all that changed when I had a big bicycle crash in 2015. Today's guest, Tom Morrison, was an avid gym goer and he was exercising every day, but a debilitating back injury at the age of 25 stopped him in his tracks and he spent 12 months fixing the issue. Now, his passionate and enthusiastic approach is attracting a lot of fans and he's building a huge following with his simplistic mobility method. In this conversation, we chat about Tom's own mobility journey of discovery, why you aren't inflexible, you just haven't done it for long enough, the concept of your feet being your foundation, why the best injury you have is one you don't actually get, and the benefits of videoing your own movement practice. If you haven't yet experienced the benefits of daily mobility, then I hope this conversation kickstarts that, and if you're an advocate, then maybe you'll get some new ideas. Let's hear from Tom. Well, it's, it's my pleasure to have Mr. Tom Morrison on the program. Welcome, Tom. Hello. Thanks very much for having me on. I think, and I'm quite embarrassed to say this, that we don't have many folks from Ireland on the show. So uh, oh, we've, we've had shameful. more. Yeah, it is. And we've had more from the United States. That's probably to do with my contact list than uh, anything else. So we, I'm glad we can start to redress the balance and uh, maybe we'll try and seek out a few more. Yes, we're good over here. We're good. We're catching up on you. <laughs> you are. We you're already know. Like, you always think like Northern Ireland is like ten years behind everybody else, so we're catching up. <laughs> uh, well, I've been I've been running the podcast for six years, so you've caught up four years in a nanosecond there. <laughs> so, um, you are known for your um, mobility programs, and we'll get into that in a moment. Um, the reason I invited you onto the podcast actually is that mobility has become a big thing of mine as I sort of reached the age of 60 and um, but quite a lot of people on my mailing list were telling me I'm already doing mobility I'm following this chap in, in Ireland called Tom Morris and he's really good so you should get him on the program so I'm really pleased you're here and uh, awesome. hopefully our legends <laughs> well you've got a lot of followers um, so I, I think uh, that you're probably turning yourself into a bit of a legend <laughs> so let's find out a little bit about you um, tell us about how you came to be in this uh, position where Everybody wants to to sort of follow your mobility programs. Um, everybody wants to stretch. Everybody um, wants to stretch. Everybody. Well, you're getting everybody involved, but um, I find it's a bit of a challenge with the triathletes to to get them to uh, to get them to do any mobility work. So, um, yeah, it's one of the things. Not a lot of people will care about mobility until they actually hurt something, and then it'll be the mobility for that one thing that hurts. And it's uh, never the case. It's it's not a good thing to use as your long-term strategy you really do want to look after your entire body because 
once one thing starts hurting, it's usually because of something else. So if you're not addressing everything, um, you can end up with uh, what I like to call bouncing pains. So essentially what happened to me when I first started, so I didn't have a like athletic training background. I didn't um, enjoy fitness or anything at all. So like in school, I would have avoided doing, you know, mm-hmm. PE and everything. Um, I just had no interest in it and just didn't ever see the value in it. Uh, and then as I got in my teens and stuff, I like to drink and smoke and, you know, go out and listen to music and be a heavy metaler and stuff. And, you know, just exercising and fitness was just like, it's just something I didn't do. It was something that my friends didn't do. It was just not even on the horizon. Mm. And then... Um, I was about 24 and I'd put on a lot of weight and then I started like my fitness journey, which a lot of people do. It's usually down to, oh, I've put a bit of weight on. I better start the old gym. You know, you don't really understand like the gravity of what you're kind of getting into. There's so many different things you can choose to um, get fit with and enjoy and stuff. But I just thought, well, you need to go to the gym to lose weight. So that was my goal. But then I just really fell in love with it. So it was this overnight shift from me, like basically drinking and smoking every day to then training six days a week in martial arts and basically anything I could put my hand to, I would try. Um, and I didn't care what it was. I wanted to be able to do everything. So I mm-hmm. was able to train okay for about a year. Mm-hmm. And I made tons of progress. So I'd realized that I needed to catch up for like time lost. So I was doing one-to-one training with people, um, multiple coaches, and then doing every class that I could possibly make. Wow. And I, was, we were probably, I was probably racking up about four hours a day of training. I would train in the morning for two hours, and then I would go back in the evening and do two to three hours. Um, of like sparring and technique drills and all these different things and lifting weights as well. Like I would do uh, a weight session for an hour, then walk over to a wrestling mat and start doing wrestling drills for an hour. And then we would do MMA sparring for an hour. Like I was just on fire and I was loving everything. And like, so I lost all the weight. I was looking super lean and feeling fitter than I ever did in my whole life. But I was always sore. And, you know, there was these wee warning signs that kept creeping up. And I just started to break down like over the period of the next year of like my knee started to hurt. I hurt my shoulder really badly. I always had back pain. I couldn't do a lot of the moves. And I didn't understand um, from a grappling perspective. So if any of your listeners do like um, grappling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, anything like that, a lot of the movements I couldn't um, perform. I didn't have the hip mobility to perform the movements. And I just thought I just didn't have the technique. I didn't realize how limiting my joint mobility was. Um, especially like back then because YouTube was, wasn't what it is now where you could mm-hmm. just go, oh, my hip doesn't work. Oh, there's an exercise to fix it. So um, back then it was just like, oh, well, I can't do that then. Um, so i never seen the importance of stretching and I just believed, oh, I'm inflexible. And this kept happening to me and um, it was one of the things that kept me from competing. I became the guy in the gym that was always injured, always had something wrong with him. And I started to chalk this down to just, ah, I'm getting old. Like I was 27 at the time Um, and this kept going um, and I kept getting more injuries. And then I really badly injured my shoulder, couldn't lift my arm, never got it seen to just like tried to jab my way out of sparring sessions and not use my right arm. Um, And then just went on this like mobility journey of trying to figure out what works. So I started doing all the foam rolling stuff and the resistance band stuff and, you know, doing all the self massage and everything and, you know, trying to get myself flexible that way. And it, you know, worked to a certain extent, but there were still tons of things I was missing. Mm -hmm. And I was shelling out an absolute fortune to my physiotherapist. And I was going twice a week in some cases, um, like every week, uh, expecting him to hold me together, even though I just had all of these like movement dysfunctions. so eventually it just all came to head when I injured my back really badly. So I ended up with an L4, L5 uh, disc protrusion and an L5, S1 disc extrusion and have impingement on the S1 nerve root and flattening the thecal sac and all this here stuff. And I couldn't put my left leg to the ground, couldn't walk, was screaming, like just an agonizing pain every day. 
And I went from like finding the best thing in my life, which was training and fitness and like really enjoying like this complete different way of life to, oh, I'm going to have to give up. So for those folks who are listening, uh, I mean, we have uh, we have our favorite physio, Alison Rose, comes on, but I don't think we've talked about the spine. So for those folks who aren't um, uh, conversant with the various parts of the spine, L5 is lumbar, so the lower part of your back where that little bit of a curve is, and then S1, S2, that's your sacrum, so that's sort of those fused bits at the bottom of your hip. But the, um, So it's, it's low back pain, but manifesting into inability to walk and all that other stuff, isn't it? Which I guess probably a lot of a lot of cyclists and triathletes might be familiar with if they're bent over the um, uh, the handlebars all the time and and yeah, not doing it's, anything it's, to balance it out. Yeah, it's one of the most common injuries to happen. It's like a really really common um, couple of discs to get injured because of if your hip mobility is limited, you will compensate with that area of your spine. So, mm-hmm. um, just for the likes of a squat, for example, if your hip mobility is limited and you try to get low in your squat and the mobility is not there in your hips, it will have to come from your spine for you to get lower. So you'll have to round your back more, which is that term, if you've ever heard, called the butt wink. Yep. Um, so that's if people has someone, if someone has very poor hip mobility, your body will try and figure it out. So it will get it from somewhere else. And that's usually what happens. And that's why, again, why full body mobility is so important. So 27 years old, how, how long ago was that, Tom? Uh, nearly 10 years now. <laughs> 10 years, okay. But you, I mean, the, the way you speak, and I'm sure we'll, get, get a, a, a great sense of this as we go through um, the conversation, the way you speak and your understanding of uh, anatomy um, sounds like you have a background in um, kinesiology, biomechanics. Would that, would that be right? Mm, no, I'm very, very interested in it. And like I would, um, so I am friends with lots of physiotherapists and would train physiotherapists. They become their seminars and stuff. So there's a lot of crossover. So yeah, I have, um, I do have kinesiologist friends and I would mm-hmm. attend seminars with them and learn their techniques and things. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like a, a jack of all trades and I'm very much the person that I'll not try and, you know, say, I know how to fix everything, but I will go, you know, I know about 10 people that have the same thing as you that are fine. So there's definitely something you can do. You know, I'm trying to, I'm always trying to encourage people to fix themselves. So it's really about finding the things that work for you um, the most. But the thing that I've found over the years that I've got luckiest with, so like um, through doing gymnastics training, through doing traditional martial arts, um, a lot of the philosophies are on, if you can't do something, you sit in it till you can do it, basically. So um, you're not just inflexible. It's just you haven't had enough time in a position. Mm-hmm. And when you start to apply that principle to then good training um, exercises and you bring that on with uh, traditional strength training. So I'd be a strength coach, um, like my weightlifting coach and I'm a powerlifting coach and a CrossFit coach as well and a personal trainer, all of that stuff. When you combine that with those kind of gymnastics principles and the traditional martial arts principles, you start to figure out how that you can actually change the body. So that's what a lot of, um, say, physiotherapists when they come to our seminars, they're quite interested in of like how you can change someone's flexibility over time, how you can get them to do it um, through practice. So it's that kind of, we bridge the gap that way. So I like, I refer out all of the time if someone needs hands-on treatment. So that thing about changing flexibility over time is really important i think because um for a lot of folks these days you know because of amazon and facebook we've got we've almost got used to being able to have everything immediately haven't we and i Mm. think that that you know that sometimes um carries over into fitness and flexibility and strength and muscles as well you know there's a lot of people uh that are sharing stuff on youtube that says how to build six-pack abs in five weeks yeah but yeah when we when we talk about mobility um you know, and particularly the folks who are listening to this podcast who are a little bit older than you and around my age, they're thinking about how can I 
how can I have the mobility so I can still play with my grandchildren? How mm-hmm. can I um, make sure that I can get up off the floor? I mean, my my father, you know, they took him to hospital in the end, but he had three days of every time the carer came around, he was on the floor because yeah. he'd slipped off the couch. He hadn't hurt himself, but he didn't have the strength in either his upper body or his legs or the mobility to be able to get himself up again. And so he was stuck there until somebody came to help him. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a terrible situation to be in. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that for anybody, but um, we're talking about something that's lifelong. And if you have good movement, that, that that's functional and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there some of it misleading about what functional fitness really is but it's very base level it's having being able to do the things that enable you to fulfill you know your enjoyment of life so we're not talking about overnight are we here we're talking about creating habits i think in in folks to enable them to even in the terms of my own back injury recovery like just that one injury alone keep in mind that was Mm -hmm. a year before mm-hmm. I was actually fully yeah. pain free, like one yeah. full year. Yeah. Um, so like you have to think in terms of like, if you've moved a certain way for 40 or 50 years, <laughs> yeah, exactly. To actually overcome that within a year or two years, that's phenomenal, you know, but people don't think in those terms, everybody wants a six week fix. They do. And, you know, going back to that point where you said you were seeing the physio sometimes twice a week and it was, you were costing you an absolute fortune. I, hear that story so much with folks you know it usually starts with oh i'm injured again so they get frustrated and almost angry that they're not able to train um then obviously they're uncomfortable that might affect the sleep it affects the mood it might affect the relationship with their friends and the family and everything else and and then it affects their wallet because they're having to do what you did they're having to go and visit the physio to fix something and then the physio say you know what the problem is here is uh, you've got a little bit of lack of mobility lacking in your hip and there's some uh, strength lacking in your calf if you could just do some simple exercises most days um we might be able to avoid you coming back here again and then go through the cycle of they, they follow the exercises for a few weeks and they get back to training and then they forget and then the whole cycle starts again yeah um, and that's the thing um like you want to make yourself stronger than you need to be for your training whereas a lot of um rehab protocols will just get you back to your normal level of where you're at before whereas if you keep running into issues you need to start to actually overload things so you want to make your calves stupid crazy strong so that they don't play up when you're running um, and yeah. you want to make your hips stupid crazy so- strong as well so that you're you're able to tolerate your own training yes I uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, any Olympic swimmers. There's a girl in America who's been fairly dominant at longer distance. She's called Katie Ledecky. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a document of the top 50 tips from her coach, just one-liners. And he said, we have a strength coach. His job isn't to make her super strong. It's just to make her strong enough so she can turn up every day and do the swimming because that's where the magic yeah. happens in the pool. So I don't want her to be at a bench press 200 pounds, squat, squat twice her body weight. I just wanted to be resilient and robust so she exactly. can and that's, um, yeah. one of the things that I always like, you know, would you hear people say is like, oh, you need to master the basics. And in the, <laughs> like the health and fitness world, it's like, well, what's the basics? And the answer you'll get from a lot of people is like just squat, bench and deadlift. And it's like, that's not basics. That's powerlifting. That's the, yeah. that's the sport of powerlifting. So it's yeah. like, and um, for me, it was figuring those things out. So like back to my own history of, you know, I didn't know how bad my right hip mobility was. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about um, hips having to rotate. So like I was doing corrective exercises and trying to stretch and trying to foam roll and stuff. And I had no awareness how bad my right hip external rotation was. So like there was none, my knee actually points inwards so it actually points my right knee points towards my left knee and this was never picked up um, and then it wasn't until i learned about the 90-90 position which if any of your listeners aren't doing start doing that one right away the 90-90 is a brilliant position to work in your hip mobility 
your hips and shoulders especially need to rotate. And if they're not rotating well, your body will figure out how to work around that. And that's where you start to see the things like the hip shifts coming in. People have an IT band syndrome and people just having like knee pain on one side um, and again, back pain as well. So if your hips aren't able to move like hips, essentially, your body will just, you'll just be rattling your bones around. Do you have a video that shows the 1990 on your extensive YouTube Yes, really. Right. Well, anything that I mentioned, if you type the words Tom Morrison and then that exercise, like 1990, it'll just pop up. You'll have like five different variations for it. Okay. Well, we will definitely post a link to that one as soon as you've recommended everybody to do it. Um, let's just go back to that injury then. So you were training every day. You're obviously loving the the feeling of training and being fit and sort of changing, changing body type, probably your mindset. But then when you've injured your back, um, that probably brings a halt to all that. How difficult was that mentally to deal with that um, you couldn't go and do all those things? Because you basically come to a full stop there, I guess. Yeah, I I went from being a really quiet person with no confidence to like someone who was like, yeah, let's go. Like I was like, thought I was, you know, the bee's knees. Um, and like people would ask my advice on things and ask me about training and stuff. And that was just all ripped away from me. I was like, who's going to listen to me now? I'm broken. Like, how can I be a coach? So I worked in a betting office um part-time and was trying to coach part-time as well at the same time and so my options that i was left with there was like give up coaching and go and work in that betting office and i do not like gambling in the slightest so <laughs> it was not a very fun job for me and um, so yeah that was uh awful like and the only thing that kept me going because you, you, like it wasn't just a sore back it was chronic debilitating pain like i felt like i had a screwdriver in my spine every day and wow. um like painkillers every day and it was just absolutely horrible um, but the only thing that kept me going was uh, we were expecting my first do- my daughter, our firstborn at the time, and I just couldn't picture not being able to hold her. And I was like, I need to do everything to be able to hold my daughter. So that's the only thing that kept me moving, even though I was in so much pain. Yeah, so that that whole thing is like wrapped up in your identity, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Really, and I know a lot of triathletes when they get injured and they're not able to do stuff, it's their identity. Is oh, there's Bob the triathlete. He does all those mad events, you know, and people sort of grow into that persona. And then when it's taken away from them, it does leave them feeling sort of slightly empty and feeling a bit exposed. You know, what mm-hmm. what do I do now? People won't see me as Bob the triathlete because I'm injured. Um, and yeah, and I'm sure triathletes aren't the only people. And yeah we still ignore the things that are going to help us keep doing what we love yeah. to go back to the things that we love. And because then we think, well, I haven't got enough time to do that. We sort of push it to one side and it becomes a, a lower priority. Yeah. And that's the thing. So like all up before, before my back injury, I was always sore. I was always getting injured anyway. It's just none of them were ever bad enough to make me have to fix mm-hmm. it. The only reason I did was because I now couldn't walk. And that was like, okay, well, I can't, physically train anymore at all i'll try this mobility stuff properly then and then lo and behold that period of a year i um got like i perfectly fixed my flexibility could squat and i came back i beat all my old training numbers so my squat my deadlift my snatch my olympic lifts everything i beat and i started doing i don't know if any of you guys have followed crossfit there's benchmark workouts so they're like Mm -hmm. tests that you do Mm -hmm. i started doing those for fun like back to back i would do like five of them in a row for fun and there's the crossfit open which was like one workout a week for five weeks i would just go i'm gonna do 2012 this year uh, and just do all of those back to back so like i was unstoppable my recovery was better and i felt absolutely amazing so like the flip side of that like oh i can't walk i can't stand up straight mornings were the worst thing ever to wow let's go every day yeah and i again back to working with and conversing with older athletes is there seems to be a point in time where folks feel like well 
it's inevitable I'm going to get these, yeah, particularly things like calf injuries. I hear people talk about mad calf disease and it's like it happens to men over 50 that like to run a lot. You know, and it's it's just what happens when you run and you're that age. So I'm just going to have to put up with it and live with it. And I, oh, it drives me crazy that because I think that it, regardless of your age, if you're willing to shift your mindset a little bit and do some other stuff, per everything that you've explained, there's always a better option. Maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of discomfort every now and then rather than every day. But um, uh, yeah, so your your overall your overall stress tolerance is what you're wanting to improve. So you actually want to be putting yourself into lengthened positions, especially with the calves and working on your balance in lengthened positions. It's one of the things I really like to work on. So a lot of people work on their balance, like just standing on one foot to put your foot flat or standing on the ball of your foot. So, you know, you've contracted things, but you actually want to put less of your foot on something. So if you stand on a step and let your heel go lower than mm -hmm. where your toes are, Mm. that's now more relevant to running up a hill. So now you're actually working on loading the tendons in that um, range of motion. So that's what gives you your wiggle room. That's what I'm always after. It's like, I want you to have wiggle room to have a bit of a whoopsie and get away with it so that you don't actually sprain anything. So there's um, there's a lot of like extra joint mobility stuff. You would maybe see me post sometimes where I'm like deliberately, you know, going to the outsides of my ankles um, and the wrists as well. I would do push-ups on the backs of my wrists and things. And that's to improve the load tolerance because you don't get injured in the places where you move well. You get injured in the places where you don't move at all. Yeah, that, I'm just thinking, I don't know about you, but I've been watching the Rugby World Cup um, recently. And when you see the slow motion of some of the impacts and the positions that those players are in, and, and you, you look at it and it's, wow, don't want to watch that. But then they get up and they walk away. And I know people say, how, how, do, they, how do they get out of that? How does, he, how does he not tear his cruciate ligament? How does he not, you know, smash his spine up? It's because of the amount of time these guys spend in their conditioning. It's not just about lifting weights and getting big. It's about um, training the body to, a, you know, to cope with all of those. And per your comment there, having the wiggle room so that if something like that happens, if you slip and your foot's going one way and your hips are going the other way, it's not going to snap your cruciate ligament in the middle. Yeah, you maybe get a bit of a sprain and a bit of a sore knee or something for a few days, and like, oh, I'm glad that wasn't any worse. Whereas if that's if you've no wiggle room at all, that's you know you're just done for. So let, let's go back to this story then. So at 27, you've come to a full stop. You've uh, had to change your mindset. You start doing all the mobility work, and it takes you a year to get back. At, at what point did you start sharing all of this with other people and building this sort of Tom Morrison mobility guru um, the... profile? So what happened to me was like over that period of a year, I believed at that time that discs could slip and that's why I thought could happen. They can't actually slip. They're glued on pretty tight and um, they can have a mini, little bit of a tear in them and bits can bulge out. So that's essentially what happened. So, but at that time I believed, oh, when it started to feel better, oh, the disc must have slipped back in. Oh, I must be good to go. But then like after a few weeks, I would be trying to lift weights again. It would go again. And I'd be like, oh, the disc must have slipped again. That's what I believed was happening at that time. Mm -hmm. But that's what I thought that, oh, if it started to feel better, I was like, oh, the disc must have slipped back in then. That, that's the thoughts that I had back then because I wasn't researching any of this stuff. And then after that year, like I was completely pain-free. I was back training, deadlifting, like loving life. And I got my letter through to get my MRI finally. So it took, um, took that amount of time for me to actually get um, through the doctor's system and everything to actually get my MRI scan. And I thought, well, I've waited this long. I'm going to go get it anyway, just for a laugh. And I went and got it. And then I got the results for it and it showed the structural injury. And I was completely pain-free and it showed mm -hmm. this really bad injury. And I was then taken into the consultant and he was saying, it says here that you are a personal trainer. You, you might want to be thinking about a career change. You're not going to be able to lift anything. And I'm standing there going, are you sure you've got the right MRI scan? And then 
I then started to go online and started to look for all these studies and everything and started to come across all of these people with these structural injuries that were totally fine. But then you would see people that had like one minor disc bulge, which is so common. There's millions of people in the world that have disc bulges and they don't even know. They they just they move well and they feel absolutely fine. Mm. And I started to realize there was no correlation between structural and structural injuries and like pain. Like it was a very, very different spectrum. And the higher up you go and the more questions you ask, you find out that nobody really knows how pain works. So for me, it was like, so hang on, if I can control all of the other things, so making myself stronger, improving my flexibility, improving my stability and having more control over my body, that's a better thing to focus on rather than I have a disc injury. So if I had got that MRI scan when I was at my worst pain, you wouldn't be speaking to me right now. I'd be in that bed and office working. So that's how much of an impact your mobility or an injury can have on your life. Like I would be a completely different person today if I hadn't have, mm-hmm. like if my if my MRI had been instant that week, you wouldn't be speaking to me right now. And that's scary. Mm. And do you think that is, do you think that's a lack of information then or or um, interest from the medical profession in helping people get back to a, a position where they can work around those things and get full mobility? Because there must be, there must be a, a sort of a disconnect at some point then. There is, there definitely is. And, and again, it can come down to how you interpret the information as well. So you could have two people getting like that have the exact same injury and one person could hear that and be like, oh, I need to be careful and protect my back for the rest of my life. And the other person will go, oh, I better strengthen that then. So it, you know, there's so many different factors with that. And if you just happen to get a doctor that's not good at explaining on that day, or say they're just in a bad mood, something happens, they maybe just explain something in a, in a way that you don't understand. Because like, why would you know this stuff? Like, that's what when it happened to me, I was like, why would I know this stuff? Why would I care about spines? All I know is people have them, you know, but now I'm like, whoa, that is a pretty damn piece of good, of, piece of good equipment, you know, um, very well thought out. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, there's so many factors that you can't, you have to think, you know, can I move around this? Can I make myself stronger? Because your body will adapt It's if you give it the right inputs. Yeah, I'm always, you know, a lot of folks come to me and they say, well, I've got, I've got this problem and, and it'll be a structural thing. And I, I'm always sort of cautious about trying to place myself above the, the medical experts. You know, they've, they've got a lot more knowledge about those things, but, but also uh, I'm aware of, you know, situations, uh, you know, like the one you've just described from your experiences, if somebody has a diagnosis that, that looks at something like an MRI, whether it's the knee or the shoulder or the spine, and they're given a piece of advice, which is contrary to what they want, like, Oh, you need to stop running. For instance, you've, you've had a, got a bad hip or you've got a bad knee. You need to give up running. Um, what would what would you suggest they do at that point? For, my first thing is to look not not just go to someone, anyone that you like or whatever, or go to an influencer for all, by all means. <laughs> find find a different doctor. Like ask that doctor, do you train? Do you exercise yourself? Do you actually do this stuff? So like even in your own terms of like trying to find a physiotherapist. So like it's the majority of your listeners are triathletes. So if you can find a physiotherapist that is also a triathlete, you're on to a winner because they understand the training, the the amount of uh, strength that it takes to do that so it's very important to you know make sure that the person that's advising you has you know a knowledge around training and strengthening and like long-term progress as well and um, so that they're not just saying oh you you're you know you're 35 now you're too old or you should be doing that you know you need to be careful at your age you know you don't want that because like i'm at the minute i'm working with someone that's like 79 and they're flying they're doing spin classes they have two hip replacements and they're able to do lunges they can do everything and like it's absolutely amazing to see so you know, there's a lot of um, flip sides out that. So I'm just like, you know, why is there someone that's like me that has these structural injuries that, you know, mm-hmm. deadlifts and does crazy supersets for fun? 
you know, and then there's someone that would have like on paper the same injury as me and they can't unload the dishwasher anymore. It's like there's a, there's a disconnect there, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, very interesting advice. And that, that, that's always my thing is, look, we've got these physios and they, they work with triathletes. They've done triathlon, so they know what's going on. They, they've got a little bit more of an insight and an empathy for your situation as well. And they, they want to help people get back to pain-free activities that they enjoy rather than sort of telling them they can't because back to yeah. that whole mental thing, I think that's sometimes overlooked as well is what's that going to do to somebody if you say you love running, but you're never going to be able to run again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, why are you not saying that person? Have you ever done any, you know, accessory work or strength training? Have you ever worked on like actual sprinting drills and stuff before? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's one of those things everybody just assumes they can run, but you know, running is actually quite technical to do properly, you know, and that's why, you know, you see, runners they're doing the the hurdles and they're doing all these things and balance Mm. drills and you know they're they're even they even go to the extent where they're wrapping bands around their feet and doing exercises with their ankles and all this here stuff you know if you're talking like wanting to get to a professional level you need to put a bit more effort into your accessory work you know that's just the way it should be so you know and a lot of studies even that i've seen um for back pain you know it's like they take a small group of people and it's like they're this age. It's like, why is the age the only factor? What mm-hmm. do these people do? You know, mm-hmm. so, someone who's an accountant for 40 years compared to someone who's, you know, lifts lifts bags of coal for 40 years, they're going to have very different structures yeah. and very different um, body mechanics. You know, so a lot of tests are just, you know, and, and as well, do these people know how to lift properly? How is their flexibility? You know, you know, it have, what is their understanding around pain? Do they believe that their back is fragile or do they not have any knowledge at all and just get on with it, you know? And that's the funniest thing. The people that like don't care that much are generally okay because it's more the overthinkers that are the people that end up in more pain because they think themselves worse, you know? Mm-hmm. So um yeah, there's so many factors when it comes to a pain experience that you need to look into what you can control, you know? Yeah, I've, I've I, back to the thing about running. I speak with a lot of running coaches and the best ones don't call themselves running coaches. They call themselves movement um specialists and they help yeah. people to move better they help them to be taller if you can get it i think one guy bobby mcgee who's a south african guy who's, who works in in colorado he says if you can get into the right running shape and stay in that running shape the best running shape you know tall all your joints stacked one on top of the other good posture good cadence if you can maintain that for as long as possible you've got the best chance of running a good time it doesn't matter how good the engine is if the body works letting it down and And that's um that's the thing in our smm group so i'm not coaching anybody on the running technique or anything like that Mm -hmm. they're just doing this set routine of exercises that i've programmed and making their joints work better and all of a sudden their times get better they feel like they can breathe better and they recover better just because their body's moving better so that's all i focus on is making your body work like a body and then it's surprising how you know lucky i get from that that if people's bits and bobs are functioning properly their performance seems to improve so for me it's like hmm that's pretty low hanging fruit why not go for that first yeah and once you've got the program so it could be a purchase from your site or it could be a bit of time with you um after that it's just about your own effort it's not costing you anything whereas you know particularly triathletes love spending a bit of money i'll buy this new contraption that's going to help me uh, get more aero on the bike or I'll spend 400 pounds on these ring shoes that are going to help me get four percent off you know they love to spend money on things that are going to improve but the free things mm-hmm. sleep and mobility 
even uh, your, yeah. like your your foot strength it's like what are you putting into those shoes you know are yeah. you putting strong feet that could literally rip up tarmac yeah. into these shoes or are you putting yeah. wet pieces of cardboard in you know the amount of people like try this right now if you're listening try and just keep all of your little toes down and just lift your big toes by themselves mm-hmm. see can you do that and then see can you push your big toes down and lift all your little toes by themselves yeah. while keeping the big toes pushed down like do you have that dexterity even just in your toes alone you know because like if your toes can't move and extend well, you're going to start running on the insides of your feet. You know, all of these things all carry upstream. And it's like, why does the insides of my knee hurt? And maybe it's starting at your feet. So, so important. That's that's a great point you make there. I go to a lot of triathlon events, particularly Ironman distances, where people are out there running maybe for four, four and a half hours, you know, for the average age group. And I see folks in the last few miles not only have their hips started to collapse and their their upper back's tight, but they're, they're, they're just doing what they call the Ironman shuffle. And a lot of them are wearing these expensive shoes. But then what you see is exactly what you've just described, collapsing on the inside of the foot, um, almost sort of knock-kneed when they're running. Um, and uh, and it's all that postural control that they haven't got. So they haven't trained the body to make the most out of that money they've spent on the shoes. Um, but then I wonder when they get up the next morning and think, oh, my hips hurt a bit. That's not normal. Oh, and my knees hurt a bit. It might just be related to the shoes and the, what, what they've sort of pushed your body into. Exactly. Yeah. And like your feet are your foundation. So, you know, that's, that's what I always look for, you know, do more barefoot training and strengthen your feet. And it just, it's a good thing to do because that's what you stand on all day. It's what you run on. You know, it's even what you put on the pedals of your bike, you know, your feet are pretty important. So you want to make sure that they're strong and durable. Um, cause like the last thing you want to have as well would be like experiencing plantar fasciitis. If anyone's ever experienced that before, mm-hmm. like that is very annoying. Like that is a game stopper in some cases. Um, yeah. and that can just come down to just, you having just weak feet and, you know, always wearing shoes all the time. You mm. can just end up having very sensitive feet that can't cope with that slap into the tarmac. Um, and then you just end up with this inflammation issue and you know, and people can end up with that with a, for a very long time. Um, and all they're doing, you know, all they do is like ice and rest it. And it's like, you should be doing foot exercises, foot mm. exercises, foot exercises until you're so bored of them that you could do them all day. Mm. Then it'll maybe work. <laughs> Are you, uh, have you got any thoughts on barefoot running at all? Um, it's something you'd need to take your time with a lot. You know, you mm-hmm. don't want to, like, if you're used to a good cushion shoe or whatever, and you just switch to barefoot shoes all of a sudden, you'll hurt your feet. It's too much right off the bat. So I would say to, so say you have a, a distance that you would say walk every day, say you're just like on the 10K steps every day or something like that. If you're going to get barefoot shoes, do it for like half your distance. So do 5K walk and then come back, put your normal trainers on, go back out, finish your other 5K and do like a day on day off for a while. And eventually you'll be able to build up to them. But if you're a runner, you want running shoes. You know, you're, you know, if you want to talk about barefoot running, okay, go barefoot run on the grass on nice soft soil. Don't be barefoot running on the pavement. Don't be wearing flat shoes in the pavement. It's not a good idea for you, especially if you're racking up a lot of miles. It's not sensible. It's not functional. <laughs> I've seen people doing Ironman races and marathons where they're running them. And I'm thinking, is that actually enhancing your running? You know, you look very uncomfortable in the last part of this run. And uh, have you gone faster, you know, or are you just trying to prove a point? Because to, to your, um, back to what you said there, I, I bought a pair of Vibram Five Fingers when they first started coming out. I like the idea but I've never really done any running in them, but I do spend yeah. a lot of time walking in them. I put them on around the house. I do all mm-hmm. my gym work in them. Um, I do all my foot strength stuff, as you've described there, barefoot. Um, mm-hmm. And I can use them to walk around f- for a lot of the time, but, yeah, but I, don't, I don't think I would ever run in them. No. Um, 
And the, the, and actually, the only reason I wear them when I'm going out is because, you know, I like the idea of barefoot for going back to nature. But these days, you can never trust what's on the floor. And I don't want to stand on a nail or a thorn and end up with an infected foot. So it just provides a bit of protection. But I don't yeah. think I'd use them for any more than just um, walking about and strengthening my feet, really. Yeah. But that's your extra win. Like throughout the day, you might, you know, you're getting an extra barefoot time, essentially. Then That's great. You know, that's enough. You know, it's enough <laughs> to offset. So you're only looking for your mobility stuff, your stretching stuff, any of that. You're looking to offset your training in any way you can so yeah you're running in your you know cushioned shoes so use your barefoot shoes throughout the day and do your foot strength stuff work on your single leg balance throughout the day i hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot if you aren't already a regular listener i hope you feel you might come back please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives i publish these twice a week ad-free and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. You mentioned SMM, so I guess we should move on to that. That's this big... Um, project that you have running and all your videos and uh, everything you do is directed to that. So let's let's tell folks what SMM stands for and uh, just dig a bit deeper into that if we can. Uh, SMM is the simplistic mobility method. It is essentially the thing, if I could go back in time before I started training and slap myself in the face and say, do this until you're good at it and do not do anything else until you're good at this program, that is what I would want to give myself. And um, whenever we first made it, so what, what happened with me essentially as I started coaching um, and like after my back injury and I was, I was starting to get known for helping people out with injuries and stuff. And like, you know, that's where the crossover with a lot of training methodologies with me came. You know, I would have a strong man come to me someday going, oh, my mate said that you helped him with his shoulder and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I would have cyclists coming to me, triathletes coming to me as well and stuff and all these people. So a lot of my, you know, coaching came from just word of mouth so this is before we even thought about advertising anything so i was just having people call me like randomly just come and you know come and see them and then i would even sometimes have like their physiotherapist come and say what did you do with paul he's fine you know and you know sort of like Mm -hmm. um and even even in our gym we had like i think five physiotherapists at one point training in our gym because they were just like this is some pretty good stuff you seem to be doing here so it got to a point where i was starting to assess people like a car almost i'd be like they come in they tell me what's wrong with them i'd be like test these certain movements with them and i'd be like i'm shocked you can't do that you know even though i knew fine rightly what it was going to be so Mm -hmm. um even in terms of the cyclists they're they're most likely going to have like limited hip rotation upper back is obviously going to be very locked down Mm -hmm. because of the position for a long time and their single leg balance will actually be hindered so yes they can balance great when they're on the bike but Mm -hmm. their actual single leg at a time being able to stabilize at the hip is actually hindered because they're so used to the bike so there's all these different things and you can see with um, patterns and a very simple one would be like golf like you're always swinging to one side so of course Mm -hmm. you're going to start to you know develop imbalances so i started to break the body down into two halves and assess it and say let's look for differences side to side with everything how every joint moves so there's thousands and thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of exercises out there but there's only so many certain ways that your shoulders and your hips actually move Mm. so if you start to assess those things you'll figure out where the limitations are with someone so that's what i started to do with people and i got to a point where i was almost like I don't even feel like I need to be here anymore. I could just say, do this list of exercises, whichever ones you struggle with, that will be the thing that helps you most. So I then messaged Jenny one day and said, um, I've got this thing that I've been doing with people and I want to call it a method. 
would you are you free on Sunday to come down? My friend Liam's gonna come down and we're gonna film it and made it into a set online structure thing uh, and put it out. And then the same thing started happening online, word of mouth of just here, this program's great. I did this and I'm fine. And like things that I'd never even came across before, people having issues with their knees, their hips, their ankles, mm. their necks, everything, shoulder impingement, all this stuff that were like, I've been trying stuff for years and it hasn't worked. And I've, I've just done this thing and it's great. So it just started to build that momentum on as well. And then like me and Jenny always joked that we just, we like accidentally started a business and that was, you know, that was the, the birth of it. So it was like, it, the quality wasn't that great of it when it was recorded at all. Like, I don't even think I had a lav mic on at that time. It was like a directional mic. You could barely hear the thing. But the content was so good that it worked. So um, we eventually then re-recorded it um, and built from there. A couple of things there. Um, I think the, the founder of LinkedIn always says, if, if you're not embarrassed with the first versions of everything you do, you've started, <laughs> you've started too late, right? Yeah. So if you'd waited until you could get the perfect sound on it, you'd have probably missed a little bit of the boat, I guess. Um, the other thing is, I, you know, I, I, I'm a strength coach. I've worked with elite athletes. Um, I put videos onto my YouTube channel. They don't have the same following as you do, but um, it, I'm always a bit concerned that when folks see even the most perfect technique on um, on a video, they're still not going to be able to get it right. You talked about having that lack of mobility in the lower back and so doing a deep squat and then sort of over, um, over flexing the spine a little bit or having to adjust with the knees and the hips to compensate for that tightness. Um, your stuff is very simple, but does it ever concern you that somebody could still be doing it the wrong way and making things worse, not better? Oh, absolutely. Like there's never anyone that I couldn't meet in person that would have done anything that you couldn't give them some kind of coaching cue on. You know, that's that's the job of a coach, essentially. You know, you'll always get more from the, the hands-on and the eyes-on contact. Um, but what we like to teach people is how to record themselves properly. Okay. So give them things to look out for and then actually teach them to set your phone up. It is the most valuable skill you'll ever develop with yourself is to watch yourself move. Because even if something feels the same on one side compared to the other side, you might be completely oblivious if you're stretching one hip to the other one that your left foot's maybe turned way out compared to your right foot on one side. You won't even notice unless you watch it back. You know, even you can't even just catch the stuff in a mirror. You want to record it watch it after what does that look like and then compare to the the coaching points that are laid out in front of you so that was on the third version of smm with a big focus on that was like teaching people how to actually record their own form um, and to look out for those things so like that's i love mobile phones for that because like i started coaching mm -hmm. before everybody kind of had a, a phone you could you know record on so it was like you had to kind of trust your coaches like my back straight no it's not my is straight no it's not <laughs> now you can just film someone and go like look it is rounded you look like a question mark <laughs> Yeah, I mean that we we do that with people when they're swimming. Now it's a little bit more difficult because pools have sort of restrictions on using a video camera in there. Mm -hmm. But when you when you film somebody and then show it back to them, and then there's like like to your point, you have this bit of an argument. Like, so this is what you're doing. That's not me. No, that is you. <laughs> you there's you've got a yellow hat and a pair of black shorts. Look, you're the only one in the lane with that. Yeah, but I don't swim like that. Um, and swimming is the worst of of all of those because people have this idea of how that they're swimming and then you get a coach and they say, yeah, you're crossing over under the center of your body there. No, I don't do that. And that's why your leg kicks out there. And that's why your back's hurting because you're, you're doing this. Oh, and by the way, you've got a little bit of limitation in your shoulder mobility. <laughs> we just fix this and fix that. That'll fix all the other things. Um, okay. So SMM. Um, so do you actually do any in-person coaching now then, or is it all on online? I would try. I was for a while trying to do still one-to-ones every month, but now just time-wise, we're just, 
so busy with everything. Um, so we do seminars still. So we do like full day seminars. We're in Dublin there last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, we had 40 people at that one. And then Belfast, we're this Saturday, we're doing two workshops in as well. So we're still trying to get that in-person element. Um, but a lot of stuff now would just be like video consultations and okay. um, training people online. So we're, we're more trying to spread the information out there now of like, because I'm just really passionate about making it's so like common knowledge of like when you're hurt, you got to figure out how to fix it. There's a way to fix it. And if, if the last case, you know, thing is to get surgery, to get it fixed and then rehab it, you know, go that path then, you know, but you, there's always a way to get fixed. You're never, you know, left dead in the water. You know, you've, you're, there's always something mm-hmm. you can do. And that's why we are so passionate about spreading our message and putting out so much free content of just making people be like, you know what, I'm going to have another go, you know, because there's so many people I've met. Um, like in their 40s and their 50s, 60s even. And they just got one injury at one point and they stopped training. They stopped doing something they love. Like actually they mm-hmm. love for like mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. And then they went, I'm going to try this again. And then they figured it out. And it's like, you know, it's it's great. It's like, yes, brilliant. You're back at it. But like you lost those 15 years, you know, and I it's, know, know. you know, and I see, I see people that um, went through what I went through and I see them at like 45, you know, 10 years older than me now. And I'm like, Oh man, and like a few weeks working with them, and they're loving life again. They're like they're they're they they fall in love with lunges. You know, it's a it's a thing with me of uh, like back pain. It's like if you make your uh, glutes sore, your back's probably gonna feel all right. So if you train your legs and your hips really well, and make your glutes you know work and feel like they're working, um, your lower back's gonna start to actually chill out. You know, so. I, you know, you you're describing me almost there because I, as much as I did all the strength work and um with with the teams and elite athletes and work with the physios to sort of build them and help them be resilient i always used to think i haven't got enough time for this you know it's more important for me to get in the pool and you know i know what i'm doing i move okay yeah getting injured is part of the course so you know that just means i'm training plenty and i'm doing the right things um i got to the point where i just didn't enjoy running because i was getting calf and achilles problems all the time you know and, it, and i do the thing like we talked about before get injured, get frustrated, get to the physio, spend some money, come back, start running again. And it was just a loop. And I did that thing. I, I stopped running, but I didn't I didn't love running really. So it wasn't really a problem for me, but it did mean I couldn't do triathlons. And it was only when I broke my collarbone um, and five ribs and I had some extensive physio to get the movement back that the, that, they, that the physios were saying, you know, you've got a limitation in movement in your upper back here and um you're not doing this so therefore your hips are compensating and it's cascading down and this is why you're getting all that calf pain at on your calves aren't very strong and you, you your foot movement isn't isn't brilliant so if we can work on all these things and i was sort of forced a bit like you were i was forced into try to do something about it in order to carry on mm-hmm. at least cycling and swimming and it has been a revelation I, if i was working with you i'd be that person saying tom morrison's a genius you know because it's made such a difference to my life and it means that when i get up in the morning now i don't i don't limp down the stairs i don't hobble around for the first part of the morning yeah. and and i'm i'm the same as you i i feel like i, I just want to get out there and share it to the point where people just almost like i've, I've heard wardy talk about this mobility stuff all the time now i better get on and do it but it does make a difference yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, you can fit a lot of stuff in and if, you know, five to 10 minutes a day, you know, and um, one of the things that I really like to try and get people on is like first thing in the morning, just five minutes. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to get a sweat on, just get deep into your joints. So you have to even look at the likes of swimming and cycling and running. There isn't actually a lot of full range joint movement there. 
no. you're actually only going to partial ranges a lot. So if you just start to add in a little bit every day of going into a deep squat, man, one of the things that I really like to use is actually my stairs and do one leg at a time. One leg up on the stairs, nice and high, really sink into each hip, move around, wiggle around. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need to make sure you're getting a certain degrees or anything out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like rotate your upper back. So twist your upper back to offset that rounded back position, especially if you sit with your back rounded all day at a desk. And then you, you know, compound cycle. And on top of that, you want to be rotating your thoracic spine as much as possible. That's going to improve your extension. It's also going to help. It's going to help how well your ribs can move. So it's going to help how you can breathe. So you can mm-hmm. actually increase your lung capacity by like, we're talking like a tiny, tiny percentage here. So, you know, you still need to obviously run and work on your cardio. But if you can improve how your upper back moves, it's going to make you feel so much better. And it's going to improve your running form as well. And it's going to improve your recovery too. So if you start doing little things like that every day, it all compounds up, you know, it's like if you tried to learn how to juggle, you wouldn't just go, right, I'm going to do two hours every Thursday. You do five or 10 minutes a day, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And then you'd start to build up the habit and you start to build up the skill then. So just getting that deep joint movement every day, so powerful. Do you find that when folks start with the five minutes a day, I mean, even if, if you're not doing anything, can you can do five minutes every other day? Mm-hmm. Um, all that wasted time when you sat, I, I totally agree about getting started in the morning because once you, once you do that, you move so much better. Um, but even if you haven't got, you feel like you haven't got the time, those wasted moments when you slouched on the couch in front of the TV, you could be using to do something on the floor instead. Um, do you find that when folks get into that five minutes every other day and then five minutes a day, it just naturally expands and they build their repertoire because they just realize what benefits having. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're just we're all creatures of habit. So I actually prefer like just just go for it every day. Don't even bother every other day. Go for it every day. Make it a when I do this, I do this. So mm-hmm. when I get out of bed, I do this. So like you would say, when I hit the kettle on, I do my five minute stretches in the stairs until the kettle boils. You know, and um, hopefully you've got a slow cow, but, uh, you know, do <laughs> have a trigger and a response, you know, so like even um, I don't I don't actually do this anymore, but I did it for like a couple of years. Every time I went for a shower, I went, oh, I'm going to be getting a shower. Doesn't matter if I get sweaty. So I would do like five or 10 minutes of mm-hmm. just animal movements on the floor, just swapping between the bear and the crab position. I don't know if you know those. Yeah, I do. So yeah. yeah. Like getting getting the hips and shoulders moving because I'm like, oh, I'm about to get in the shower anyway. So it doesn't matter if I get a bit sweaty and I would just work on those. And um, so it was a really nice habit to have. Um, and then another one. Um, I was doing last year for a while, you know, uh, it was 20 minutes in the evening. So right after dinner, I would do shoulder mobility for 20 minutes. So, you know, there's no hard effort. It was just band work and a light dumbbell. I would just go out to the gym and just 20 minutes after um, dinner, just, you know, do stuff that keeps you ticking over, you know, so I'm trying to improve something. So um, I'm not one like, you know, don't, don't stick to a habit for life or whatever, but hop around your habits. As long as you've got something going on, you know, it doesn't matter if you change your habits every 90 days or whatever, you've still got something that you do because you do something, um, which is going to help you improve. So the, a good one is the, like you mentioned on the TV, if you have a TV on, just have before you sit in the sofa, 10 minutes floor time and do the 90, 90 position, do sitting cross-legged and do sitting on your heels um, and then sit in the chair afterwards. It, it all mounts up, you know, the people, mm. you don't realize how much you can accidentally not move day to day. Yeah, well, I think, and that's the frightening thing, isn't it? You know, you talk about sitting down. It's that some people say sitting's the new smoking now in terms of the knock on um, ill health effects it can have mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, and that's like, I joke as well. Like, you don't even have to get out of the chair to put the DVD in anymore. It's everything streaming now. Like, every possible way to not get out of the chair is just handed right to us now. So, you have to make that conscious effort to get up and play. And especially if you have kids. So I'm sure like a lot of your listeners will have kids. Like get on the floor and play around with the kids. You know, and, you know, say, say, like, don't be someone that says I don't have time to get to the gym. Say with your kids, right, let's play you go, I go. Can you do this? And just lift your leg up and then say, right, you go. 
and then say see what they do i did it on my son one day and like he just got on the floor and i don't know how many push-ups we done it must have been 60 push-ups or something like that there because he just kept <laughs> saying can i was like can you do this can you stand on one leg and he was like can you do push-ups and i was like yeah let's go 10 push-ups and then i was like can you do this can you wiggle your hips like this and he was like can you do push-ups and i was like okay more push-ups then <laughs> you know so um your kids are, are full of great ideas and when you watch them move as well ah. You know, that's something you should take a lesson from, you know, the problem with a lot of gym stuff and a lot of corrective exercise stuff is it's so strict form wise mm -hmm. and that can make you more broken than anyone. A lot of the people I work with that are in the most pain actually don't move bad at all. They can't move bad. And that's a problem. So if you can't go out of alignment, if your body freaks out, if you, you know, let your knee cave in a bit or something, um, you like feel, oh, I'm going to strain something. That's not good. You should be able to roll around the floor, move about and, you know, run sideways on a, on a hill and you know not twist your ankle and all this here stuff you want to be moving around you want to you want to be in control of your form but you also want to have the ability to move like an idiot at the same time mm. and i think you know particularly for triathletes they swim they bike they run but you know they tend to do a lot of aerobic volume and but it's all in that sagittal plane it's all moving forwards there's a little bit of rotation when you swim um, they might be able to do tumble turns so there's a sort of like a, a more of a movement there and a little bit of mobility needed but in essence most of their movements are in one plane they're the same movement pretty much repeated thousands and thousands of times mm -hmm. um and there's no lateral movement there's not a great deal of planned rotation and so certain parts of the body are overused and certain parts are underused um what, do, what would you say to those folks i mean on top of, i think if they haven't got the message already then they've probably not been listening properly but to those folks who are already doing lots of exercise and probably think, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good. Um, what would your message be to them? You're good now. It's the best injury you get is the one that never happened. And the only way that that happens is through preparation. So yeah. it's so important to actually take this stuff on board um, from the people that, you know, went through what you would like to not go through, you know, actually, you know, when you're young, it's great to, you know, you always hear older people are like, ah, what do you know? You're old, you know, but it's like they have experience. And that's my, the favorite coaches and teachers that I have had, they were all in their 60s. They were way older and they had so much life experience um, and they had so much experience of working with people that they have actually seen it all before. Mm -hmm. Whereas whenever you are, especially when you're on that initial beginner's gain and you're like your PR and your run times all the time and you're, you're lifting heavier weights, you're getting stronger, you're getting mm -hmm. leaner. You're like, I know everything. And you look at someone who is a bit older and stuff and it's like, you're not ripped. What do you know? You know, you, I, I can run faster than you. What do you know? And it's like, you, you know that person has seen you essentially a hundred times and they know you've got about five years in you before you're just, Oh, why is this sore? What's going on here? Ah, what's this? Oh no. And then you're emptying your wallet to the physio. <laughs> yeah. You're right there. The, the, the folks that I use as sort of informal mentors are all coaches that are in their sixties and seventies that have probably got 10 years on me that have been there, worked with Olympic athletes, but done it again and again. And so they've seen different people. They've managed to get them to the same end position but they've had to take a different path because everybody moves and you know everybody thinks differently um and it's that wisdom and i do think sometimes you know it's part of society these days that we tend to ignore older people um and yet they have all the wisdom we shouldn't be ignoring yeah. them at our, we, well, we ignore <laughs> them at our peril right yeah um and you, you made a great statement there i've not heard it recently but um 
we used to have a when I was working with Yorkshire Cricket, we we got all of the kids to do a lot of mobility and theraband work to try and protect the shoulders and some of the areas where we knew were hot spots for injury. And um, Scott, who was the physio at the time, and I were chatting one morning about some of the kids and what we should do with them. And one of them came up and he said, "Do we need to do these theraband exercises? You know, every morning." And uh, he said, and Scott said, "Well." why are you asking that? He said, well, I haven't been injured for 18 months now. And Scott <laughs> laughed and, and Scott laughed and he said, well, that's why you need to keep doing them. And then we had this phrase that nobody thanks you for an injury they don't get. So very similar to that um, phrase you just uttered there. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad somebody else uses that. Yeah. And but when you really think about it, it just makes common sense. It's like, if you want to overload a pattern, make sure you're doing a wee bit of the other patterns too. And mm-hmm. Just make, make your joints happy. Make them happy and they'll let you do what you want to do. Whereas if you don't if you don't give joints the stuff that joints like to do, that's where they get grumpy. And if you keep avoiding that, you know, you can tweak something maybe two or three times before it becomes a really annoying injury that, you know, won't go away. And then you're, you're feeling stuck. So take the warning signs when you get them to be like, okay, I've missed something. I need to add this in. Yeah. Let's talk about the older humans a bit. Um, Tom, you know, I mean, age is something that's coming to all of us, isn't it? Mm, hopefully. Um, <laughs> hope, yeah, obviously, that's right. I mean, I know people say they don't like getting older, but the alternative's not <laughs> not, not quite as attractive. Um, so where do those folks start? You know, they might they might be thinking, well, I'm 55 now, I'm 60, I'm a bit too old to start all this. There's not, you know, things are only going one way. Aging's inevitable. I'm supposed to get stiffer and less mobile as I get older. Um, the great thing is about your body, is that it's not a car. It doesn't have bits that need replaced. It is a living organism that can learn and it can always learn until the day you die. So you can always teach it to move a little better. You can always build a little bit more muscle. You can always learn new skills. And if you keep doing things like that, your body gets better at adapting. So it's it's one of those things, whenever you're kind of good at everything you're doing and you're not challenging yourself anymore, you're in autopilot mode, and you're already going backwards. You should always be looking for little ways to challenge yourself. It doesn't even have to just be training. It could be learn an instrument or something. You know, something. It's something to give your brain something to eat, essentially. So you want to be always making your body have to think, have to react. So this is one of the things for people that are much older as well. You can accidentally have not worked on balance for 20 years. And it's like, oh, I've got bad balance. It's like that started a long time ago and you didn't address it. Mm. This has just been a habit that's been built up. You can still get it back. You just have to start off much um, easier than what you would maybe like to, you know, so like swallow the the humble pill and be like, okay, I need to start. I need to start practicing on my single leg balance while holding on with both hands. That's a valid way to work on it, you know, and that's just where some people will have to start. And the progression there is now I get to hold on with one hand and one foot. And then now I get to have something in front of me I can grab if I need to. And now I'm a bit more confident on one foot for 30 seconds. When you get to there, hey, we can get 45 seconds. We can get a minute and then we can build on that. So there is always a way to start. You always, like, I don't have a magical shoulder and a magical hip from, you know, space that, you know, I've trained different, how to move differently. You know, everybody has the same bits and bobs that can mm-hmm. learn. Um, it's just about giving yourself the right inputs. And the only way to think about it is if, yeah, you maybe have 20 or 30 years of, you know, different habits of not improving these things. It's like, yeah, maybe you need to start off a bit lighter. Maybe you need to start off a bit slower. But that's that idea of like, you know, work smarter, not harder kind of thing. It's like, okay, well then use the resources that you have to learn more Mm -hmm. about how to improve this stuff rather than trying to figure it out on your own, you know, 
try and get someone to help guide you that you can learn from so you don't run into any mistakes. And that can tell you is the second you start to feel a bit sore or something mm-hmm. like, hey, that's pretty normal. Let's just take a day off and let's get back on it again tomorrow. Rather than going, oh, that's sore. I must be causing more damage. Where does that phrase come from? It's in us all. Why do we always think if you feel a bit of pain, oh, I'm causing damage? No, no. <laughs> it doesn't happen. I used, to, I used to have a personal training business and with some of the folks, you know, I would just take them out walking. And I remember one of the first times I took this one guy out and he came back and he said, I can't train on Friday. I've got shin splints. And I'm like, really? We only walked for, you know, 20 minutes. Oh, the front of my shins are really sore. And he basically, that that movement of plantar flexing and dorsiflexing his foot, you know, so many times he'd, he'd not done that for years. Mm-hmm. And the muscles at the front of his shins were just tight. Yeah, But he thought he was injured. And I, I said to him, you know, you're just using your body now. And that's, that's great. The thing. You take you take a professional bodybuilder, right? You take a professional bodybuilder that trains seven days a week, probably six days a week. They probably have one rest day, maybe for two and a half hours a day. They would train and they're taking their creatine and all the other stuff that they take. You ask them to help you move house. They will be wrecked the next yeah. day because they're yeah. not used to it. It's nothing to do with your, you, you can only get strong in certain ways. And if you're not used to lifting awkward objects and carrying things upstairs and all that stuff, it's like your body's just not used to it. So it's normal to experience a bit of, you know, owies whenever you first start working on something new, totally normal. It's a normal thing. It's not bad. I, I love the bit you were talking about earlier about trigger and response and habits. I, um, I've just finished reading uh, Tiny Habits. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, but um, it's it's got nothing to do with mobility or sport or exercise but it is all about that you know habit stacking every time i wait for the kettle i'm going to do some you know some squats every time i um every time i'm on a or i finish the call i'm going to do some calf raises or i'm going to sit on the floor every time i take a phone call i'm going to sit on my heels every time i watch the tv Mm -hmm. um you know just just combining things and building it into your life rather than and that's i would recommend as well like if you can find a way in your house to have a pull-up bar in some way so mm-hmm. you can hang every day it's so good for your shoulders so good for your spine and it's just it's a good thing to do like it, whenever um covid and everything hit and my gym closed down before i built the gym that i have like i didn't have a pull-up bar for a while i was going nuts because i couldn't go to the gym and was like i really just i know i need to hang from something i just feel like i'm just like i haven't been hanging at all you know you know mm-hmm. yes you need to squat as well and you know you need to you know work on jumping and single leg balance and everything but you also need to hang like you need that for your shoulders and stuff too you know mm-hmm. so there's find little things that you can have in the house as well that make you have to do things like that so if you have a, a like one of them door frame pull-up bars or something like that there have it up all the time so every time you go in and out of that room have a wee hang for a second you know and um, having those things around the house it's so helpful uh, are you um are you a fan of kettlebells i know you talked about um resistance bands earlier you know do you have a mm-hmm. particularly f- a favorite routine or do you just like to mix it up all the time Oh, I do everything. So I do um, calisthenics. I would do like handstands and pull-ups and levers and rings and all that stuff. I would do resistance bands for mobility work, muscle activation. Um, I'd love resistance bands. So especially when you've finished a session, it's great to get multi-directional joint strength with. Mm-hmm. So if you say, for example, this is a good one for runners and things. If you attach a resistance band around your ankle and have it anchored on something mm-hmm. and just march on the spot and face the band, and then face to the left, face away, and face mm-hmm. to the right. Mm-hmm. You'll hit your hip flexors, your abductors, your adductors, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your hamstrings in different ways, in different patterns. So it's going to strengthen your hips from all angles. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I love resistance bands for. And um, it's not so much like the, 
you know, the external rotation rotator cuff exercises, which I don't use at all, actually. Um, I don't find them helpful at all. <gasps> Can't say that. Um, but that's, I'm very, mu- I'm very much into looking at exercises and going, how is that helpful? This is better. So that's, I'm always looking for things that will mm-hmm. give you multi-directional joint strength. So bands are great for that stuff. So I would always combine them with the likes of my um, calisthenics stuff. So I would do like loads of pull-ups, loads of handstand push-ups and all that stuff. And then finish with bands for band mm-hmm. shoulder dislocates, big, loads, large rotational movements. I love kettlebells from a stabilization point of view. So I would use them for like single leg deadlifts. I would use them for the bottoms up kettlebell press. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like swings, but it wouldn't, they wouldn't make a majority of my training. I just love the kettlebell itself just for how adaptable it is. It's like, I need to do squats. And I want to add a bit of load to that. You know, because especially if, especially if you are a triathlete, you don't want to be the heaviest thing that you lift. You do want to be lifting weights to some extent, not maxing out your deadlift, but you want to be loading your muscles and building more muscles so that you can cope with your own weight much easier and recover mm-hmm. a lot better as well. So kettlebells mm-hmm. are great for that. You know, if you just um, have a, you know, relatively good sized kettlebell for lunges and squats, like that's pretty damn good. You know, lunges, squats, and single leg deadlifts, if you can add them to your training program with a bit of weight, like it's a really good sensible thing to do. Mm. I like I like kettlebells uh, mostly because they're versatile and I've got six of them down here and I, so I can but per your point about having the chin up bar mm. they're there so I can do something like some bottom ups press I can do something like a waiter's carry where I can just get into a, a, a nice position and stabilize and walk around the yard for 30 seconds and do it on yeah. both shoulders that um you know I like Turkish get-ups because that's uh, um something that involves you know their strength but not in the way where you sort of there's asymmetric connect. Well, there, I suppose there is when you're getting up and down, but a lot of the time it's stability, balance, and coordination, and and sort mm-hmm. of spatial awareness. And I, I really, I really like that because it combines so many athletic movements as well as getting up off the floor uh, in in one particular movement. And you have to focus. You can't do, um, you can't do it badly. Otherwise, you're just going to drop it on your head. So you've got yeah. to be very, you've got to be very focused on what you're doing. And I really like that sort of whole body engagement. Have you tried a bottoms up press Turkish get up? I haven't. Really, really good fun. So you have to squeeze hard, but um, yeah, and don't go too heavy at the first. But um, something I used to love doing was um, the kettlebell in the bottoms up position and in each transition of the Turkish get up to do a press as well. So you'd actually press in each position, um, which is really, really nice. So, oh, so yeah. so when you're lying on the floor, you do a press. Then as you come mm-hmm. sitting up, you do a press. Yeah, uh, that's. I think Dan John likes to do that one quite a bit. I've seen. Uh, I've seen yeah, he probably would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you talked about the resistance bands there. I don't know if you've come across Dave Schmitz. He's known as the band man nope. in the United States. I had Dave on the show recently and we had a great conversation about that whole mm-hmm. um, deceleration, you know, controlling the eccentric part. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a, a really good point he made about that's where most people in certainly in explosive sports get injured, but also, you know, stepping down off a step as you get older, you know, decelerating and allowing being able to do it with control. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a great conversation about the benefits of bands and obviously they're portable. So, you know, you're mm-hmm. never really without a gym if you try. And they're a lot. so beginner friendly. You know, yeah. you, get a, you get a light resistance band, you can pretty much load up any joint from any angle and start to get a bit of strength into it, you know, because yeah. um, there's there's some people because I really love um, the likes of a side plank and I love to test. Can you support yourself on each leg of the side plank mm-hmm. so that you're testing the abductors and the adductors? Mm. And a lot of people, a lot of people are lacking that 
that adductor strength and like you're mm-hmm. saying about these deceleration it's like they don't have any strength in their adductors so boom that's why groin injuries are so common but then every time you get rehabbed it's like it's always glute exercises so here's clamshells 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 and not a lot of attention gets given to the adductors it's definitely getting better now i am seeing it becoming more popular but bands are great for that because not a lot of people can actually support their own weight and um, mm-hmm. with their adductors you know so it's so important the band is a nice way to bridge the gap for that and build that up Great point there. I had a, an unplanned movement when I was skiing this year. My my foot came out of my um, ski while I was stood stationary outside a coffee shop, and it just I started doing the splits on the ice. Oh no! <laughs> and I just I just couldn't control. You know, I couldn't pull my leg back in, and it was just sliding away. I ended up doing the splits, and I felt something pop. I ended up with a tear in both groins, and I had mm. a, I had bruising that went all the way down from the crease of my groin right down to the back of my knee it looked pretty horrendous um and but all of those things that you've talked about that adductor strength you know controlled adductor strength lateral slides copenhagen's resisted band work side planks you know in different positions with the resistance band um i've had to do all of that um but uh, I think probably you did say you've got a lot of strength here already. If you hadn't had that strength and mobility, this could have been an awful lot worse. You could have had a complete tear there and that would have been a, a major operation. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, it was, it was quite bad. I had to have four, three or four months off running and uh, you oh, had to be very yeah. careful, but um, yeah, I recognize all of that. And perhaps I was a bit weak in the adductor. So at least it's, guided me to doing something that perhaps uh, will help me next well, time I go skiing. That's the thing. So like a, a nice hack to kind of think about of like, you should have been doing some of those exercises beforehand anyway, you know, mm-hmm. so you think, think about your hips. Don't think about muscles. Don't think hamstrings and glutes. Think how the hip moves itself. So mm-hmm. you have internal rotation, you have external rotation, you have abduction, you have adduction, you have your hip flexion and you have your hip extension. And if you focus on those things and have exercises that improve all of those, you're hopefully gonna you know catch all the muscles by happy accident um if you work on all those things and also test each hip left or right and look for any differences with any of those things left mm-hmm. or right because that's where your imbalances a lot of people have a tighter hip on one side more than the other yeah. and it's what what causes them a lot of lower back pain or knee pain and it comes from the hip you know every, the, everyone always says the body's connected that the body really is it is all connected you know so if you have a limitation mm-hmm. somewhere it's going to catch you somewhere else yeah, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation, Tom. Thank you. It's uh, I love your enthusiasm for this, and it's your passion and um, just your desire to help folks just move better. Yeah. Um, because if you can start from that base point, it actually makes everything in your life a whole lot more pleasant, doesn't it? Really, absolutely. Like you know, you'll know yourself. Like when you're injured, mm, will I stay on the diet or will I have some crisps? It's like. It just, yeah. it also, for me, it always started moving. If I can fix how someone moves, they're going to make better choices, you know? So that's, we like to think that we like to change people's lives through movement and, you know, giving that bit of lightheartedness and just showing them that they have more power than they think they do, that they're able to fix themselves. It's just such a good thing to give someone. I'm going to put links to some of those exercises you mentioned. Um, I, I will put uh, a link to your simplistic mobility method, but Please, can you just tell folks who might be interested in getting started what the process would be for that? Uh, The best place to start with us is the Simplistic Mobility Method. So that is like, you know, my life's kind of like work. This is the thing that I hone and make as good as possible. And it's a one-time purchase. So it's a a method. It's not a bunch of exercises I like. It is a, this is what I want you to test. Whatever you really struggle with is the things you will get from the most. And then this is the way that I like to do things. So I make sure you align everything the right way first, then stabilize it, 
then we do our strength exercises and that's the way that things should be done it's the most efficient way to do things um, and if you do that four days a week until you're really really good at it then you can do it like once or twice a week and you'll be able to maintain it easy so it's it's much harder to attain something than it is to maintain something and um, so yeah the whole premise with smm is get it get really good at it once you're at that point you can do it much less and you just use it to check in so it's like your home base so um yeah that's the best place to start with us if anything we do so we do have other programs as well to progress on to but if you want the ethos of what i do smm is the beast to go for yeah and we will as i said post links to tom's youtube channel uh, he's got a lot of followers already so there's obviously a, a, a whole load of people who've already got this message and are, and are benefiting from it so please go there and have a look at a lot of the videos that tom's um Tom and Jenny have done, right? So Jenny's part of that as well. But you will also get a sense of Tom's fun-loving nature and his enthusiasm for what he does. So we're definitely going on to that. And then maybe you can um, go to the shop and get his SMM. So Tom, amazing. Thanks so much for being here. I feel like there's so much we haven't talked about and I would love to have you back onto the show um, in the future, um, if that's possible. But for now, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you again to Tom for being my guest on this week's show. It's such a pleasure to have really enthusiastic guests. And since we spoke, I've been checking out some of his videos on YouTube and it's helped me to create a new morning routine. So I do hope that you get time to check them out as well. If you haven't already listened to them, please check out our new Bite Size podcast episode, which is released every Saturday morning. These are around 10 minutes of length and we dive in a little bit deeper on some very specific topics. Maybe you like reading or listening to audiobooks or doing that as well as listening to podcasts. And if you do, then I have something you might be interested in. If you ever read the show notes in full, you might have seen that we ask our guests to recommend their favorite book, something that's inspired or captivated them. And we've slowly been compiling a list of all of these, which is now way over 200. If you'd like the full PDF book list, please check out the link in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure you check out all those other links that I've posted for topics that we've mentioned in this conversation today. Okay, that's all for this week. Next week, I'll have another great guest and I hope that you'll be able to join me. Bye for now.